0: So some elementary uh, age children were asked if they had any questions for God. And here are a few of them. Dear God, in Sunday school they told us what you do. Who does it when you're on vacation? Dear God, is it hard for you to love everybody in the whole world? There are only four people in my family and I can never do it. Dear God, my grandpa says you were around when he was a little boy. How far back do you go? <laughs> Dear God, is it true my father won't get into heaven if he uses his golf words in the house? <laughs> Dear God, did you mean for giraffes to look like that or was it an accident? Oh wait, giraffes are like cute and cool now, right? Because of the whole April thing and all the... Oh man, you guys have better things to do, right? Oh no... It a whole other sermon. Uh, Dear God, I, I went to this wedding and they kissed right in church. Is that okay? Dear God, I read something in the Bible. What does begat mean? No one will tell me. Pretty good questions there. Maybe you haven't had those questions for God. Maybe you have. Maybe you've had others. You probably have had questions for God. Maybe you have some Right now, and so that's why we started this series that uh, we'll be looking into uh, answers to some frequently asked questions about God, faith, Christianity, and uh, and more. So we started last week on Easter Sunday with that uh, that question that biggie really need to get settled before we ever dive into any of these other questions. Who is Jesus? To me. Who, who, who do I believe Jesus is? What have I done with Jesus, God's son? Do I truly believe that he, he saves my soul? Do I truly believe that he is, is the Messiah, the Christ, the son of the living God? So we started out there and, and, uh, we have to settle that, uh, first. And then we also then are, are going to be approaching certainly not an exhausted, exhaustive list of, uh, of, of questions, but hopefully, Questions that uh, that you may be asking, or maybe, and you see that list there on the back of your uh, your program. That's where we're heading. Maybe you read some of those and you go, "Well, I wasn't asking that question, but now I am." Hmm. Uh, so that kind of uh, shows where uh, where we're heading here. I want to remind you in this series, when the Bible is clear in addressing some of these issues, then I will do my best to be clear to tell you exactly what the Bible says. If the Bible gives direction, so there's some some direction or guidance involved, then that's exactly what I'll do. I'll I'll uh, point us in the direction where Scripture is pointing. When the Bible is silent and there are some of these issues where the Bible doesn't necessarily say too much about it, uh, then I'm not just going to make things up. I promise. I'll, I'll uh, we'll, we'll look at uh, opinions and principles and and uh, uh, the, the traditions of the church and what scholars have studied and and i 'll do my best to kind of uh, let you know uh, when which is which i guess uh, am does the Bible say this, or is this just what some scholars believe and, and we 'll try to uh, to cover all that but but basically, I guess I, I want to reassure you or let you know that i 'll be answering these questions to the best of my ability based on scripture, looking at them from a Christian worldview, how you view the world. Uh, determines uh, how you live life, Help, and, and it, it, it kind of uh, affects how you answer life's questions. In a very practical way, think about Christopher Columbus. He had a certain worldview, right, like specifically about the world and that it was round and not flat. And he was right. The world was round, and he never would have ventured across the sea without that worldview. Because he had a certain uh, image of how things worked in life, then he acted upon that our worldview affects how we live. Now, I'm not so much talking about jumping in a boat and sailing across the sea, but but uh, talking about how do we think life works, how do we think uh, things work in this life, and, and and how we understand that are kind of the principles that we live by. So our worldview affects how we live. So it will help set the stage, I think, to... to uh, to answer these questions, if we first of all review, uh, what is a, a, Christian worldview? Where are we, where are we coming from in this? And so that's why some of you were scared when I set these things up. It's, it's not school, I promise. But I will be, uh, we'll be, uh, taking some notes here because we'll refer, refer back to this, uh, throughout the message. So, so over here, and I won't turn my back on you too much, but, but we'll do a Christian worldview here. I'm going to write it on here, but you won't be able to read it. I'm just uh, because I my handwriting, but uh, we'll call it. That's not Christian West Virginia. We all know that West Virginia is a little. You know, we're not sure about West, but no, I'm just kidding. Christian worldview. So first of all, it's God-centered. So everything is centered on God, right? Christian worldview. Everything have God created. Then so uh, God created, including humanity. He created male and female adam and eve man and woman and he designed us then for for relationship so there's uh, there's that relationship aspect involved involved and so god enjoyed fellowship relationship friendship with with adam and eve and uh and and they they had god created us for relationship with him but then the biggie Sin happened, right? Adam and Eve, uh, broke the rules and, uh, ate from the fruit they weren't supposed to, to eat from. And so they sinned. And when they did, that broke the relationship, right? And so, so, uh, there's, there's a break in that relationship between humanity and God because of sin. And so, we need a savior. Uh, for, before we go too much further here, sin also, when they did that, that brought pain and suffering and death and some other words that are not very pleasant sin brought all the the bad stuff into the world so we need a savior from all of that and that savior is Jesus so God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son whoever believes in him will not perish will not suffer the consequences of death but will have eternal life and so we have that eternal life Uh, we we have that relationship with God restored here and now also then, we have the hope of heaven, right? So Christian worldview, just kind of hitting the highlights, uh, we have the hope of heaven. So heaven is our real home. And that's important, we're going to come back to that uh, more than once. But heaven is our home, we're, it, not just here on earth in this life that we're living right now, but, but we're uh, looking toward heaven as our home. So it's uh, uh, when we have questions then, God our Father who did all this because it's all God-centered if we have questions God our Father answers our questions it's a God life following God's rules simple enough complex enough I could spend the next well the rest of this year preaching on just all of those things and there's a whole lot of other things and details involved in all of that but that's a, a little bit of Uh, what it means to live by a Christian, biblical-centered worldview. But let's face it, not everybody lives by this, right? Not everybody uh, gets all of this, not everybody understands all this, not everyone lives by a Christian worldview, so maybe we also need to look at the opposite side, the non-Christian worldview. I'm going to use the... Blue one, because that's not uh, or the red one. How about that non-Christian worldview? Again, not saying anything about West Virginia. Just so it's not God-centered, right? It's uh, it's me-centered. Uh, it's it's humanity-centered. Everything uh, everything revolves around me. revolves around me. Uh, so therefore, uh, nobody really created anything because it all just kind of happened, right? So, uh, non-Christian view wouldn't say that God is, is the center of anything because God isn't even around. Nobody created. Uh, there's not a relationship there, right? And so there's no sin either because, uh, there's no morality, um, no evil. I can do whatever I want, right? And so, uh, everything is, uh, is, is okay. So there's no need for Jesus. I don't have to worry about what I do with Jesus because there's no need for a savior. I don't have to be saved from anything because everything's okay, right? And so that's the non-Christian view. Uh, and so my home is not heaven. My home is here, right? Earth is my home. I skipped one thing over here, and, uh, and, and it's important, so we need to get back to it. Right in, uh, right in here, we need to see that our purpose is to be Holy. So God makes us holy. I know you can't read that, but I wrote it in there anyway, just so I can see it. Um, and believe me, I put it there. Uh, so our purpose over here, though, our purpose, why am I living life? Well, I'm living life. There's no, no point of heaven. No, no, I'm not looking toward heaven or anything like that. I'm living here and now. Everything's here and now about earth. Earth is my home. Uh, so my purpose is to be happy. Now you see over here, my purpose is uh, that God would make me holy Over here, it's that I'll be happy, and so when I have questions, my feelings will answer my questions. Right? How do I feel about that? How does that? How does that feel? What what do I? What do I think? It's all going to be up to me and and how I feel. And so it's a it's a me-centered life, following my rules. Two extremes. Christian worldview, non-Christian worldview, two extremes, but not everybody in the world follows this either, right? These are the two extremes. Usually, most people, even probably most of us here, would probably fall somewhere in the middle between these, Uh, kind of a hybrid of the two. Those are the two extremes. We usually end up somewhere in the middle, and it's what I'd like to call today smorgasbord Christianity. Smorgasbord, that is one of those words. That is an awesome, that just rolls off the tongue. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. I don't think they call it that anymore. Uh, it's the old word for those restaurants where you sidle up to the trough and eat as much as you want buffet cafeteria style, right? Golden Corral, that's, a, uh, that's, that's the new version of the old smorgasbord, smorgasbord. I Like Almost the Muppets guy is almost there. So you go into the smorgasbord and you've got, uh, you know, all the different kinds of meat. You've got 20-plus different overcooked lymph vegetables, right? You've got rolls. You've got salad. Uh, for some reason, there's always lukewarm pizza next to a big pile of fries, right? It's just for the kids, I guess. If you don't want asparagus or broccoli, skip it. You don't have to take it, right? It's the smorgasbord and you're in charge. Uh, you, you want to go back five times to uh, get the three-day-old carrot cake with the cool little carrot thing kind of on the top of the ice you, you know what I'm talking about do it go for it there's always uh, there's always soft serve ice cream machine where again you're in charge and you can get a cone or a cup or your mouth right and uh, some of you might need to testify about that um, or pray through I don't know but um you got, you can put all the toppings, you got whipped cream and sprinkles and all the toppings, but they're always kind of mixed up a little bit, and there's probably a little snot mixed in there, to be honest, because Little Junior got, went up and did his own, and he's shorter than the sneeze guard, and you know how that all goes. It's just, oh, hmm. Anyway. But I remember as a kid, times going to the smorgasbord were special times. They were awesome, good times, primarily, not just all the food, but primarily because of the pop. Now, we usually didn't get to drink pop, sheltered life. Pray for me. But not only did I get to drink pop when we went to the smorgasbord, but they had, which most places didn't back then, way back then, most places didn't have the self-serve dispenser where you could get whatever you wanted. All in the same glass, right? And you go, Ch-ch-ch. And you just fill it all up right and do what it, anybody else ever want to test. It? Yeah, see see there's a couple of you out there we'll all be in in recovery together, I guess, but See at the smorgasbord Dinner is completely in your hands to create however you want And that's what many people do with God, with what we believe, with our worldview, and I'm just going to call it smorgasbord Christianity. We take what we like from the Christian worldview and what we like from the the non-Christian worldview and we kind of squish it together into this worldview that we call our own. What does that look like? Well, heaven is my home, but, you know, earth feels a lot like home too, right? Right? And, and yeah, it's not that there's no sin. I mean, there's sin. I acknowledge that there's sin. But the stuff that I struggle with isn't near as bad as the stuff that so-and-so is going through, right? And so, so they're the ones that are, that are worse off than I am. And, and Jesus is great and all, and, but you don't want to get too carried away. I mean, he's there when you need him, when it's convenient. And we begin to create God into an image that we want him to be instead of who he is. And, and, and as we pull these extremes together, usually we end up assuming that uh, not, not necessarily that it's my purpose to be holy, but it's, the, it's God's purpose to make me happy. And that's kind of how it all plays together. And so God needs to make me happy. And that's part of what's going on under the surface, so to speak. We're trying to live a God life, but by our rules. And so we're mashing these things together, and we're in charge of the worldview and how things work. And so when we have questions, we, we just get confused because, because our Father God says one thing, but, yeah, I'm not feeling. I'm not sure that that's really... Uh, yeah, he says, but... I, and so we're, we're conflicted and we're confused, and, and I'm not ha- real happy about that answer, so it must not be right. Long ago... I realized that I should probably avoid the smorgasbord at dinner time. It just doesn't work out well for me. Usually, it's my frugality more than anything else. And that always trumps my discipline because I'd rather go back 12 times because I need to feel like I'm getting a deal. Or maybe maybe there's probably a little hint of sticking it to them. Ha, ah, you've you charged me that, but I went back and I got extra lukewarm pizza. <laughs> All that to say, I guess, I I end up coming away from the smorgasbord with regrets. (laughs) And, And we have to avoid the smorgasbord in our spiritual lives, too. We can't just pick and choose what we think we, we, we want in Christianity and skip over the hard stuff. We have to get back to a life centered on God and how He operates really, truly, as it's spelled out in Scripture, as, as, as He designed life to be. And we have to rely on that worldview and not some mashup of our own making, or else we'll have regrets. It's the only way that we'll find real answers to our questions. And so in answering these questions that we'll be doing today and in the days ahead, I always want to be coming back to the Christian worldview. Big, huge uh, introduction, I guess, but that's kind of an introduction to all the rest uh, of the weeks. We'll probably have some form of these things up uh, over the next many weeks so that we'll continue to remember what, uh, what we're, where we're going back to for the source of our answers. And so the big question of the day has been asked in various forms. You see it there at the top of your outline. It says, why do bad things happen to good people? We could, uh, in that, I guess we're asking several things. Why is there suffering in the world? Uh, why doesn't God stop suffering? Uh, why doesn't God at least protect Christians from the bad things that happen in the world? Uh, can God stop suffering? Or, uh, or is his power limited in some way? If he can, why doesn't he? And those are some pretty weighty questions, so let's dive in and we're, we'll hit those and, and more. The first question, I guess, where I want to start is why do bad things happen to anyone? And the short answer is sin. Why do bad things happen the answer is sin. That's the short answer. We can just pray and go home. That's it. That's the answer. Done. Goodbye, right? <laughs> There sh- there would be no bad things happening if there was no sin. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, it brought suffering and disease. We covered it right here. Suffering and pain and death and disease and brokenness and, and all of that came into the world. And that sin has been passed down to every person who has ever been born. Theologians call it original sin. We're We're born with this sin. We're infected by it. Sin has been in the world almost since the beginning. And sin has consequences. Back in college, I had a 1982 Honda Accord hatchback, light blue, much cooler than what it sounded just then saying it, but it was very cool, very, very cool, right? It was, it was very cool. One evening, I was driving with a few friends. One of them may or may not be sitting on the front row this morning, and I was driving a bit too fast. And we came up to an S-curve in the road, and I decided to try to straighten the curves, as any well-respecting Dukes of Hazard lover is ought, uh, meant to do. As cool as it was, my 1982 Honda Hatchback was no General Lee. And we came out of the final curve, and that car spun kind of, I guess you call it a helicopter spin, so to speak, spun around, the dry pavement, it's going kind of fast. And, uh, all I remember is the lights shining on these leaves as they're flying all over the place and spinning and not really knowing where we are. And then we ended up, boom, we all, we slammed against the, the curb. Everyone's okay. Look around there. I mean, they were mad at me, but they were okay. And, uh, slowly started to, to pull away and everything seemed drivable and, and, and good. So we, uh, we, we headed, headed back. Uh, and everything, everything. Not a lot of talking in the car for for a little while, as uh, if I remember right. But but I do remember driving back that uh, that it was kind of pulling a little bit. You know how that goes, kind of pulling a little bit. And so I remember asking my dad, uh, telling not long afterwards that that telling him, you know, I think my car needs an alignment. Wouldn't really want to tell him why I would think that, but uh, just just told him that uh, that I thought it needed an alignment. So we coordinated all of that, and and uh, uh, he got it in. And then he called me after the garage had called him. And he said the car doesn't need an alignment. Um, It has a bent axle (laughs) and also a bent frame. Just some, some real basic, you know, little couple of bucks. The car still looked awesome, as awesome as I've described it. I know you can powder blue hatchback 1982 classic. It was a classic, John. It was a classic. I worked the entire Christmas break and didn't bank a dime because it all went into fixing the car uh, so that I could uh, could continue to, uh, to use that. So it still looked awesome, but it was bent up and, and messed up underneath at a fundamental level and wasn't going to work that way. Although on the outside, everything might look fine in our lives, awesome, cool, great, right? Uh, we still, we're, we're born with this original sin. We have a bent frame, I guess. We, we're we pulled toward sin. So I guess that's another way to answer the, the big question for the day, uh, stating it a little bit differently. Why do bad things happen to good people? They don't. Bad things don't happen to good people because none of us are good, So we could could go there at a fundamental level. Bad things don't happen to good people because there are no good people. We're bent, we're twisted, we're we're pulled towards sin. Romans 3 uh, says this way, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Of God sin has twisted things up and there are very real consequences and even the best of people in this life fall short of sinless perfection now I'm not saying that everything that happens bad in your life is a result of your sin there are there are many things that we suffer in life that are a result of sin but not our sin right some things we suffer a result of other people's sin the abused child, the family killed by a drunk driver. Let's not forget about the almost 60 million babies who have been aborted since 1973 in this country. Why, why do we, why do people suffer? It's the direct result of sin, not necessarily always our sin, uh, other people's sin, the consequences of original sin. God created, here's another way to say, God created a perfect world. We broke it. <laughs> okay. That's, that's one way to, to talk about this whole issue of sin. God created a perfect world, we broke it. Adam and Eve, and then everyone since then, there's sin in the world. And so that's the big theological reality behind it all, and, and, and that's true, and that's right, and we see that in Scripture over and over again. Scripture is very clear on this subject. But that doesn't always help in the moment, does it? I mean, I don't want to hear theology when I'm grieving. I, I, we need to press in a little bit deeper here. Sin causes suffering, but couldn't God stop it if he wanted to? Couldn't? Yeah, God is bigger than sin. He could stop that. He's God. To answer that question, first off, you need to know that he has stopped it. Hang with me. God sent Jesus, here we are again, the Savior. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sin. Because God loved the world so much, he has provided for our salvation and he is preparing a place for us in heaven. Heaven is our home. This is what it will be like. Revelation chapter 21 describes it this way. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. We have to touch on the subject that we live with a very limited perspective and God's perspective is eternal. Matthew 10, uh, Jesus is giving a pep talk to his disciples. It's almost like he's in the locker room and he's about to send them out to, uh, to, uh, to minister. And so they, they paired up and they were getting ready to go out and, and, uh, preach in his name and heal in his name and do all these things. So he gathered them up and he's giving this little pep talk, pep talk. He's psyching them up. And, uh, there's a whole passage there in, in Matthew 10. I'll just sum it up for you. Coach Jesus, uh, got the clipboard. He's writing it out. And these are some of the things he told his disciples to pep them up and get them ready. He says, when you're arrested, Okay, wait a minute. Okay, when you're arrested, don't worry about what to say in your defense. Uh, next point. Okay, everyone's going to hate you because you follow me. <laughs> oh, and don't be afraid of people that want to kill you. They can only kill your body. They can't kill your soul. This is, this is a summary of the pep talk, right? Uh, okay, thanks, Jesus. Only my body. That's good. Great. Thank you. Appreciate that. God has an eternal perspective that we can't grasp very well. And God cares more about our spiritual health than our physical health. Some, some hard stuff, and yet it's, it's true. I mean, I hate to be the one to break it to you, and we like to insulate ourselves from it, but our bodies are going to die. Our souls are going to live forever. So we need to live for eternity God's ability to save our souls from eternal judgment is much more significant than his ability to protect our bodies from disease and pain. We are trapped in these physical bodies with a physical limited perspective, and so we pray desperately for safety and for health and and all the other things. And in so doing, we're, we're trying many times to apply to our bodies God's promises of protection for our souls. And in the end, we're disappointed because the death rate for Christians and non-Christians is the same. And we will continue to be disappointed until we begin to value eternal life for our souls as more important than limited life of our bodies. It's, it's, it's hard truth. I, even saying it, I'm going, wow, but it's, it's reality. There is... An eternal perspective. Remember, earth is not our home. Heaven is our home. It's temporary. I, I heard someone, someone say yeah, this, it's just like we're camping. We're just here on a camping trip for a little while, you know, just a few years. Compared to all of eternity, just a couple of years, a few years, it's camping. It's a Christian worldview. I'm not always happy about it, but I'm living with eternity in mind. And so maybe we can process through all that. And we might even say, okay, pastor, I get it. I understand that that God has this eternal perspective. And so eternity and issues of the soul are are more significant than issues of our bodies because our bodies will pass away and our souls last for eternity. We need to make sure that those are, are right. But, preacher, maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, I don't know. But God can intervene and he does sometimes. So why doesn't he do that all the time? God heals people, but not everyone. We, we read about even in the, in the Bible, we, we read about all the ones that were healed. There are, there are some who weren't. We pray these days for, for uh, healing for people. And sometimes God comes through and, and does amazing, miraculous things. And other times he doesn't. So I guess the question we're getting to is why does God, uh, why would God allow us to suffer? Is there, is there anything there? Could there possibly be reasons behind going through pain and suffering? As any parent knows, uh, some suffering is lovingly inflicted for a higher good. Did you ever fall and skin your knee as a child? Probably all have. Did your mom ever pull out the aerosol spray can of searing pain and agony called <laughs> Bactine? Did that ever happen to you? Yes. Yes. So, Sprayed it on there, much worse than the original injury, right? But even though you felt like now you had a hole through your knee, it was supposed to kill the germs and, and cleanse the wound and, and help the wound to heal quicker and all those things. Some pain and suffering is allowed or even inflicted for a higher good. So let's see what God might be accomplishing through allowing us to go through pain and suffering. Suffering punishes sin. First thing, Ephesians uh, 2, 1 to 3. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Consequences. Sin has Consequences. So when you're going through difficulty, one question to ask, one one thing that might be important to do is to do an internal inspection to see if there is sin in your life, because it could be that some of the suffering you're going through is a direct result of the of your sinful behavior. God punishes sin, but that's a good thing because He punishes sin in order to restore us to righteous. Remember God's uh, God's purpose. Ah, you can't read it. God's purpose is to make us holy. Our purpose here is to become more and more holy. And so he's going to constantly be, be uh, uh, pointing out the things that are not holy. And, and there are consequences to that. And sometimes our suffering is a result of the punishment for sin. Sometimes suffering tests our faith. James chapter 1 starts out this way. Uh, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds... Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Sometimes God allows suffering in our lives to test us uh, to see if we are, can continue to trust him. Uh, back, in, back in the uh, Old Testament times, Job uh, fell into this category uh, where, where the devil approached God and said, Job's got everything going for him. Uh, he would curse you if, uh, if, if he ha- had to deal with pain and suffering. And eh, we don't have time to go into that whole story, but he went through pain and suffering. It was a test of his faith to prove. Uh, scripture talks about uh, 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 proving just like uh, uh, the precious metals go through the refining process over the fire and melt it down to get rid of the impurities. Uh, many times as we go through difficulty uh, is, is when we, when we mature and that leads to the next one: suffering builds strength through discipline. Hebrews twelve: endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as His children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Most of you know that uh, that I'm a runner. And right now, I'm about five weeks away from another half marathon. And this will be my fourth, which just means that after I run this next one, I can say I've run two marathons. So, <laughs> over four years. Um, anyway, I'm right in the middle of, uh, of training for that, and uh, I can't say that it's fun. Yesterday, I ran uh, for over two hours, tra- almost 16 miles. It was not pleasant at the time, but painful. Painful. Kind of still is. <laughs> um, in five weeks, however, it will reap a harvest If I, as I cross, not if, as I, when I cross that finish line because I've been trained through discipline. Many times we we complain in the midst of a season of suffering and we wonder where in the world God is when in reality he's simply making us stronger as he is right there with us through that season of suffering. There are things that we learn through suffering that we would not learn any other way. Difficulty, hardship, even pain makes us stronger. You know people, maybe you are people that are undisciplined and Many times that just doesn't end up well, uh, an undisciplined life. But, but if, we're, if, we, if we are disciplined and if we're making wise choices and we're allowing God to walk through those things with us, it matures us. We grow stronger. God uses difficulty and hardship as discipline in order to strengthen us. Suffering brings good. Romans 8.28, we, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him who have been called according to, according to His purpose. That verse doesn't say that God only brings good. And sometimes we kind of uh, have, have maybe misinterpreted that. It's not say, and we know that, in, that all things are good if we're living for God. It doesn't say that. It, it says that God works with everything, both good and bad, to bring about good, to bring about His will for our lives. So what kind of good can come from suffering? Well, we've covered some of it. Salvation can come from it. Sometimes suffering can be a wake-up call for us, right? And get us on track with God. Sometimes uh, uh, suffering can can give us an opportunity for ministry to someone else. We've walked through a, a very painful time, and God has brought us through that and matured us, and then because of that, now someone else is going through the same trial, and we can walk with them, and God can use us in that. And sometimes the good that can come is the, uh, the help that we can give to others. Uh, in John 9, Jesus healed a man born blind and and he specifically said that the reason that this man had been blind all of his life was quote so that the work of God might be displayed in his life he walked through years and years and years of blindness and poverty why so that God's word God the work of God might be displayed in his life and we're still talking about it today In John 11, Jesus' close friend Lazarus got sick and died, and Jesus Jesus didn't go to him. He could have gone to him while he was still sick, and and, and yet uh, Jesus told his disciples, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad. He says, I'm glad that I was not there. Why? So that you may believe. Lazarus had to go through death, so that the disciples and others, including us, might believe. Lazarus' suffering had a point. There was good that was going to come from it. God can use everything for good, even pain and suffering. Which brings up something else. What about persecution? There are Christians uh, who have been tortured and killed and uh, literally are going through persecution even right now in, in countries around the world. Shouldn't God protect his children from that kind of pain? It's actually kind of the other way around if we look at Scripture. Uh, We're actually, we're destined for it. 1 Thessalonians 3, 2 and 3, uh, Paul says, We sent Timothy to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials, for you know quite well that we are destined for them. I want to look at just a few examples of uh, God's track record in protecting his followers from pain and persecution. We already talked about Job. Uh, Job was was a follower of God and yet his crops were destroyed, his livestock was destroyed, his children were killed. The only people left were uh, a nagging wife and some friends who blamed him, right? God didn't seem to protect Job. The Apostle Paul, we don't have time to mention all the persecution that Paul went through. Uh, Suffice it to say, he almost died twice at the hands of of folks that were were, uh, coming after him. Uh, He also had to deal with a nagging ailment that God said, you know, you can hang tough. You can rely on me. Uh, He didn't seem to protect Paul. The disciples, uh, Jesus' followers, uh, they were all martyred, stoned, crucified, beheaded, boiled in oil. The only one that was not was John, and he was persecuted and exiled. God didn't seem to protect them, and martyrs. Uh, continue millions through the centuries, killed because of following God. E- even Jesus uh, uh, suffered tremendously. First Peter 2:19 kind of helps uh, paint the picture. It is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, that is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Will God protect you from those things? Most of the time, many times, he does not. In fact, Scripture sure seems to indicate that we're destined for it. It could be that if we're not facing persecution because of our faith, we're maybe not living out our faith like we should. Where did we get the idea that following Jesus was supposed to be a pain-free, trouble-free life? I think it's a part of our smorgasbord Christianity, because it's God's job to make me happy, right? And if I believe that it's God's job to make me happy, then he should swoop in and save me from anything that's uncomfortable for me because I'm not happy. It's God's job to make me holy. (laughs) And when he does, I find deep joy and satisfaction and happiness. But it's not just about how I feel. It's not always fun (laughs) sometimes it's downright awful sin has really screwed things up but through it all God is making and molding and shaping us even when it's hard (laughs) Randy Alcorn put it this way God doesn't just want us to feel good he wants us to be good and very often the road to being good involves not feeling good I can't stand here today and claim that I have all the answers as to why God allows suffering. I think we've, we've uh, gotten down the road a little ways in it, but I know that you might still have questions. I know I still have questions. There are still issues that we face in this life, and we wonder what in the world is going on. Some of those Questions, we'll have to wait until eternity. 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve says that now we see a poor reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. But I think there is one more truth that we need to rest in today. Something else about suffering, something else that suffering does. Suffering draws us to God. God does not take delight in your suffering. Sometimes, especially if we're looking at life with this smorgasbord Christianity worldview, we shake our fist at God in the middle of our pain because we're expecting him to make us happy. But maybe in the midst of your pain, instead of turning on God, you should turn to him because he desperately wants you to. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He knows that we don't understand and so when we get anxious and frustrated and, and, and all the rest, cast it to him because he cares for you. Matthew 11, 28 and 29. Some of the, uh, the most encouraging words of scripture. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Does your soul need rest today? I I know in preaching a sermon like this, it's very personal because all of us have things that we suffer with. All of us have burdens and struggles and heartaches. Jesus says, come to him. You won't understand it all. You don't quite get it. You don't see how it's all going to be resolved. But Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He knows you probably don't understand the pain you're facing. He knows that, that, that some of it might have even been brought on yourself. Uh, he knows that some of it, uh, you don't know where it's come from. He, he knows that we won't quite ever know why. But he loves you right here, right now, right in the midst of it. But Lord, in the quiet of these moments, I pray that we'll take you up on your offer to come to you, that we'll experience the rest and the peace that comes. You know the hard things that we've been through. We, you know the difficulties that we face. You know the things that have been resolved and the things that are still unresolved. You know the questions of our soul. Lord, I pray that that we would allow you to bring your rest to our hearts. I pray that, that even if all the questions aren't answered, we can still know that we have a Father who knows all the answers and we trust you. Lord, I pray that on the difficult days that we can, uh, we can find comfort and strength and encouragement in you. I pray that we can be people, the church that minister to each other where we bear one another's burdens, that we allow you to flow through us to help those who are suffering. Lord, we don't understand it all, but we trust you. And so as we go from here, we go knowing that we have a God who loves us a god who carries our burdens encourage us lord as we as as we go encourage us and help us to be an encouragement to others may your spirit and your presence and your power and your peace rest upon us today in jesus wonderful name we pray amen